Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Fun Ideas Podcast number two. I'm your host, Mark Arnold. For those who don't know me, I am a comic book, animation, and pop culture historian. And you can listen to show number one for a complete rundown of projects I have worked on. Before I bring out my first guest, whom I'll introduce in a moment, I'll give you an update of what's currently going on at Fun Ideas Productions. I'm still waiting for the proofs on Alvin, the story of Ross Bagdasarian near Liberty Records, Format Films, and The Alvin Show, and for Friendly Ghosts, Little Devils, Giants, and Rich Kids, the art and creations of Warren Kremer. The Alvin Show book is still scheduled to be out by this Christmas 2018, and the Kremer book might be pushed back until 2019. I want the Kremer family happy, so I'm giving them time to really go over everything. In August, I recorded some more voiceover commentaries for Kino Lorber's to Patty Freeling DVD and Blu-ray series. This was for the Pink Panther Volume 4. And Volume 1 and 2 are currently out, and Volume 3 will be soon. The other DFE titles, such as The Inspector, The Ant and the Aardvark, and the rest are already out, and all have audio or video commentary by me. Greg Ford is doing a great job compiling these and releasing these. Unfortunately, most stores don't carry them, so Amazon is probably your best bet for getting them. Just make sure you get the ones made by Kino Lorber, as there are older MGM releases that have no commentary extras, at least none by me. Speaking of the end in the artwork, I wrote and even got paid for a comic book story that is supposed to feature in an upcoming issue of one of the Pink Panther comic book titles issued by American Mythology. I'll let you know which exact issue this is when it is published. And the latest article I've written is for Back Issue Magazine, which will be out sometime in early 2019. And it will be on Radioactive Man from The Simpsons, featuring an interview with current Mad Magazine editor Bill Morrison, who also worked on the series. I'll let you know when this is published, too. And what else? Oh, yes, the interviews Greg Beta and I did for Pocketful of Dennis the Menace will be expanded for issue 23 of Hogan's Alley which should be out sometime in 2019, possibly 2020. So much tentativeness. In any case, I will update you on these and any other projects I'm working on as they progress and are issued. And now, without any more delays, I give you a man who encouraged me to do this podcast. I said I would do one if he promised me to be the first guest. He founded and continues to run and own Lee's Comics, a comic book store that originally opened in 1982 in Palo Alto, California. Uh, Eventually he had a second address in San Mateo, California for over 20 years. And after a couple store moves, he is currently open for business in Mountain View, California for over 35 years. Here he is, Lee Hester. Hello, Mark. Hi, how are you doing, Lee? Um, Just wanted to... Tell our listeners, you know, just, you know, t- about yourself. Tell us about yourself and how you got interest in comic books and also running a comic book store for 35 years, is it now? 
<laughs> 36 here is 36, to be exact, yeah, but, wow. but who's counting? <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, guess I've had a pretty long interest in comics. Um, I remember when I was about 10 years old or so, I was in a bookstore with my mom, and I saw a copy of Superman from the 30s to the 70s, and it was probably sitting on the sale table for around five bucks. And I poured over that book, and I just thought it was the greatest thing I ever saw. And I asked my mom to buy it, um, and she just said no. <laughs> but back then, you know, uh, adults, they didn't, they didn't always give the kids what they wanted, you know? They didn't always yeah. lavish endless amounts of money and care on kids. I mean, she went through a depression and, you know, had to, to flee Europe and so forth, so she wasn't used to frittering her away her money on junk like that. <laughs> so, uh, lucky for me, um, I later on found a lot of books about comics in a local library, a Mitchell Park Library in Palo Alto, where I lived, and they had that very book, Superman from the 30s to the 70s. And I checked that out and just poured over it, loved it. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I found that comic books were sold at um, local pharmacy. <laughs> so I, I started buying all the Superman titles. Uh, action Comics, Superman, Superman's Pal, Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest, Justice League. And they were 20 cents back then, so, you know, uh, you get five for a buck. Mm -hmm. And I did babysitting, mowed lawns, whatever I could to scrape together enough money for that. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, discovered Mad Magazine after that, loved it. <laughs> uh, wanted to get every single issue. Um Later on, I guess I graduated to Marvel Comics. Got, I liked Spider-Man and so forth, too. Uh, after that, I met some collectors that had back issues for sale, and, and they, they sold them uh, by the prices, according to this, the, what they called a guide, which I had never heard of. And it <laughs> turned out it was Overstreet Price Guide, probably an early edition, you know, early number five or something. Yeah. Uh, so I bought some of those from some local collectors. And then a there was a coin store called Consolidated Coins that, that, that I became aware of in Palo Alto. And on Saturdays, there was a guy named Don in there, and he sold back issues. Hmm. Uh, only on Saturdays, and you would ask for what you wanted, and he'd go to the back and get them for you. Um, so I, I bought a lot of stuff uh, that way, and I tried to get complete runs of stuff. Like, I think I had a complete run of Justice League and mm. uh, so forth. And then a little bit after that, I think in 1977, Comics and Comics opened up on University Avenue in Palo Alto. Mm -hmm. So I started going there. So that's kind of how uh, my... Uh, my uh, habit of collecting comics and hobby of doing that progressed well how did it switch over to selling them like me i've collected for years but yeah i've sold on occasion but in general it just never i never it never really occurred to me i just wanted to keep them how did it switch over for you well when you think about your life um you realize that a whole lot of things happen to you strictly by accident i mean if you had <laughs> changed one little tiny element uh, your life would be completely different so if I hadn't been in that bookstore that moment and seen that book mm -hmm. uh, who knows and in this case um, when I was in high school um, or 
junior high school, perhaps, I had a friend that um, he used to like to go to the flea market. And he wanted some help, so he talked me into going along with him. And I brought along some comic books with me, and I sold those. Uh, so I started going to the flea market more often. And um, I also started, uh, since I was selling comics, I met people that were selling. Hmm. So back then, I was able to buy a bunch of collections of Marvel comics, like all of them, uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 and up. <laughs> Spider-Man 1, Fantastic Four 1. I think it cost me around 300 bucks mm. for the first uh, full Marvel collection I bought. Uh, so, you know, I was acquiring more stuff, and I was selling at the at the San Jose Flea Market, and the De Anza Flea Market was even better. It was just once a month, but it was, uh, it was really something. Uh, there weren't a lot of comic book stores at the time. Uh, when I first started selling, there was no stores around here, but there were some in San Jose, mm -hmm. which was you know, quite a ways away from my home, especially for a guy that, you know, that couldn't drive yet. I would have had to talk my, my mom into driving me to a place <laughs> that she hated. <laughs> well, I know, I know back then, yeah, downtown San Jose was rather dicey. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember I did get a ride at one point to downtown San Jose. And I did. They did deliver me to this comic book store. My mom just dropped me off, and the first thing I saw is kind of a man dressed up in like in a pork pie hat, old-looking guy, <laughs> come staggering out of this doorway. And I take it it was a bar. And he grabbed the um, the lamp post and he vomited right into the street. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so I thought, uh, that's your comic book store right there. It, it <laughs> They pick the best neighborhoods. <laughs> well, I know when my mom took me down there, I'm a few years younger than you, she insisted, I was already 10 years old, she insisted she had to hold my hand. Yes. <laughs> yes. That would have been good. <laughs> so we're talking late 70s here, like 77, 78 or something like that. <laughs> no, my mom didn't, she didn't even want to be in the comic book store uh, unless some of that terrible stuff rubbed off on her. <laughs> well, well, my mom didn't want me in there either but she also didn't she also wanted me to come out too <laughs> exactly <laughs> so um i know you've told me this story before but i mean how, how did you going to the flea market then like get you encouraged enough to actually open your own business rather than just work for someone else or you know continue just doing the flea market well, something I noticed even in those days is like if you worked hard, um, you could make like a hundred, two hundred bucks cash, and that was a lot of money for you know for a young guy uh, back in the early seventies. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was seemed to be a considerable sum, and um, it always seemed to me that just jobs was uh, was some kind of punishment, some kind of torture. <laughs> you know, like yeah. like. It, it's just kind of like having your dad make you pull the weeds. Here you go, son. Uh, here's here's a little tool. Get in there and get all the weeds done. And don't worry, I'll come out and I'll supervise periodically and make sure you're doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, doing a job was like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I have taken jobs before, but um, the longest I ever stayed on any kind of job working for somebody was three months mm. and um, now I've been doing 
running my own business for 36 years. So uh, working for others hasn't really worked <laughs> out very well for me, but uh, apparently working for myself is possible. <laughs> so I'm trying to try to keep doing that if possible. <laughs> it is tough working for others. I will still agree with you, and I've done it and still do. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost nobody has read Stick Boy Number One. I have, but, yeah, I know. Uh, by, by Dennis Warden. Yeah, and it's just brilliant. And there's one panel in it that I just love, and it says, "It says Job Hunt, the torment continues." And it has like this devil poking the guy in the head with a pitchfork. Right. And I always thought of that as, okay, time to look for a new job. <laughs> the torment continues. That's, that's really what it is. It, you know, in a certain way, you know, not to specifically name my current place of employment, so I will not, but, you know, just say. That place it, is different. Yeah, but no, different. I, I, no, I just think of, you know, most jobs are like an extended version of school. And it's yes. like, you know, if you didn't like school, school prepares you for work, but it also shows you what work is like. Although it doesn't prepare you completely, what I've found, because uh, when you're in school, you get three months off in the summer, you get a couple weeks off in the winter, and you, you, know, you, get out, you go in at nine and get out at three, which I can't do unless I'm taking <laughs> pay cut, you know. <laughs> so, but anyway... Um, I, I want to touch on that a little bit too. Okay. It's like I'm so not suited for any kind of work too, because another thing that work makes you do is you need to show up at a certain time, yeah. at a certain place, mm -hmm. and then do a certain thing uh, without interruption. Yeah. And to me, school was like that too. It's like yeah. they make you get up to her. I don't want to get up that early. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to be asleep during these times. Right. The ironic thing, though, is because I know you, it's like when we work together like on a show or something like that, you're very punctual and you expect the same punctuality in return, which is not a problem, but it's kind of interesting since you don't like to be ruled by the clock, but if you have to do something and make an appointment, you'll do it, which is really kind of commendable in an interesting way considering your adversity to, to punching a clock <laughs> well there's there's one thing like about doing it now and then when you have to it's required and, and mm -hmm. i still don't like it because <laughs> you know like if you do a convention oftentimes that you might have to get up at 5 a.m because they load up at 7 and right. you got to be there on time and i just did that last week as a matter of fact and i didn't like it and it kind of wrecked me for three days um <laughs> But I did it anyway because I had to. Now imagine this is your life. You're doing this every single day from now on. <laughs> you don't so, have to you know, tell five me. Five days a week. <laughs> you don't so have like, to tell me. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll do it like twice a year and I'll squawk about it. <laughs> it's my life every single day. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a different matter. That's working the job. You know, it's right. like if you. If you're doing your own thing, you can kind of set your own normal pace, and then now and then you, you jump out of the box yeah. because there's something you want to accomplish. But you're not going to schedule your entire life like um, like work would do for you or school would do for you. Yeah. So I'm going to say in case people are like thinking about doing a business – That's the good thing is you can kind of create your own parameters. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of downside to it too, of course. Well, yeah. Uh, how, know, long, like, how long was it before you turned a profit? You opened in '82, you said, right? And 
wasn't it like going month to month for the longest time or something? Oh yeah, it was horrible. I mean, um, first of all, I didn't I didn't really have a good job, and I was just kind of walking around um, in my backyard, uh, <laughs> and as you go through the backyard you went into alma plaza where you see lucky supermarket mm-hmm. and then you go behind there and you notice there's a whole bunch of stores and they were all abandoned and vacated because you know it, it is not a, a promising environment for retail <laughs> so uh, like i was looking through the window of one of these places and you know you could still see the uh, the impression of what business it used to be, which is like a fudge works or something. It was still on the window. They had, they had scraped it off real good. So so I'm looking at this little tiny store, and, and you know, I copied down the phone number. This is in 1982. Right. And then two weeks later, I'm open for business. <laughs> um, the rent was $300 a month. And, yeah, the location was horrible. It was a 700-square-foot store. And I had um, my first day did 150 bucks, which was great. And I didn't see another day like that for a long time. Mm. And I'd have days when I'd make 30 bucks all day long. Um, so it was just a really bad store at first. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I tried hard and I worked hard. I tried to make it better. And um, I think little by little, it got a little less pathetic. (laughs) Although, at first, if you had looked at it, you would have said, oh, this place is doomed. You know, (laughs) it's got no chance whatsoever. And, uh, you know, I bounced the rent check. I bounced Mm -hmm. the utilities check. My distributor had me on a cash-only basis. Uh, So I was just kind of living day-to-day, practically. Uh, But eventually, it started to do a little bit better. And then... We did open a second location in San Mateo, like five years later in 1987, mm-hmm. and um, that was a little bit nicer. It was right along El Camino. It was bigger, mm-hmm. um, and eventually that one started to do okay, and then in 1990, I moved um, to El Camino also in Palo Alto, mm-hmm. and I was right on a corner of uh, El Camino and Kirtner, and um, at this point, uh, comics and comics and you know their their best store was in palo alto they were starting to get a little bit worried mm. <laughs> uh for the first time i was able to actually give them some competition mm. this was in 1990 and then i think by the mid 90s we were kind of neck and neck mm. and then it, you know eventually they kind of moved to a lesser location and i became more dominant in my area uh, san mateo store was doing well um so kind of little by little i was able to make the store uh, viable mm-hmm. so it's uh yeah, it was but, a ha- happy surprise. I have one question about the first day, since you mentioned you made $150. Uh, did you ask the person how they knew about your store, or how did you promote it at the beginning? Well, I made a bunch of flyers, oh, okay. and I, I did the flyers myself, and I put them all over town. And I think I think my mom did help me. She gave me twenty bucks to print out these flyers at Kinko's. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I just I put them all over town and. Um, said like grand opening <laughs> uh, and yeah a few people visited that's why the first day we did okay 
<laughs> and no repeat business. <laughs> Do you remember the? You mentioned that you, you know back in the flea market days, you'd get runs like uh, Amazing Fantasy fifteen and stuff like that. Uh, what did that sell for then? And did those come across very often compared to like now, where they're thousands and thousands of dollars? Uh, I seem to think that they were easier to get because they weren't that old. Yeah. Like, um, so in like 1974, that was only a 12 year old comic. Mm -hmm. And and now it's like, you know, a 60 year old comic. (laughs) So, so I think it's, it's much more rare and it's very valuable. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it continues to slow down. Mm -hmm. Um, we still do get them at times, and but they're worth just. It's 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 much harder to buy them now than it used to be. Right, right. So when you opened the store, did you have anything like that, like you know the proverbial wall books of any decent sort, or was it just kind of like last month's books or something? <laughs> well, I would. I did have some back issues, yeah. and I think I had some okay stuff. Not a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, I bet if you added it all up, it'd probably be worth less than five thousand bucks for all of my inventory mm-hmm. when I first opened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't much, but. I do think that I've always been interested in buying stuff. Mm-hmm. Like any time after I started going to the flea market, if you had offered me anything good, I would have tried my best to try to buy it. Even mm-hmm. if I didn't have the money, I'd try to figure out some way to buy it. Oh, so you you were buying before the stores even. I thought you might not have done that until you opened the store. But um, So if somebody came out, or did you trade or did you actually... Uh, give out money to for someone's collection way back when in the flea market days no i would always try to buy and that's Mm -hmm. like if i had to uh you know if i didn't have the money i'd try to borrow the money and Mm -hmm. and then sell the stuff to pay it off i'd try to make any kind of deals i'd try to do trade and there's never been a time since about the age of 14 or so Mm -hmm. that i wouldn't very aggressively try to buy any kind of good comics or associated mm-hmm. items that people had. Mm-hmm. Now, did you learn this anyway? I mean, it just seems to me, knowing you as long as I have, it just kind of comes natural to you. Um, but obviously, it could have been just trial and error, and you're just good at it now. <laughs> How did you get into buying and, and doing it well, where you could make deals and you know figure out the best way to do it? Well, I, I think there's always been people that I would see that are doing this and I would observe and I would try to adopt their better methods that I thought and I would try not to do the methods that I thought weren't good mm-hmm. um, and also a lot of stuff I mean I enjoy playing games like chess and you know, words with friends these days and so forth and so to me a lot of this is a game it's a game of strategy yeah and in any kind of such game, you can improve your odds of success depending on what you do. Mm-hmm. You can't. You, I don't think you can ever go a hundred percent when you're buying stuff, unless you just want to always just pay more than what they're worth. Yeah. <laughs> so, so within the parameters of trying to make a profit, um, there's a lot of different things you can do, and I continue to learn mm-hmm. um, every time I try to make a deal. Um, you know, whether I get it or I don't get it, I think I learn a little bit. Um, so at least I try to. And I still fail sometimes, and mm-hmm. that, that inspires me to you know, try to do a better job next time. But, uh, yeah, I try to uh, I, 
just try to stay on it and, and, and try to have a pretty good percentage of success. Hmm. Well, that's cool. <laughs> Do you read about it too, like uh, just different books and, you know, to kind of educate yourself on new strategies or just kind of, it's you kind of just luck into it, you know, from experience? I think the best way for me to learn is to expose myself to, to that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I just went to a convention last weekend, right? Mm-hmm. And sales were not good. There was not a lot of people. It was not well promoted. And I think the only benefit I received is talking to some other dealers. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to see how they do it, to work with other dealers, to me, that's that's the way to learn. See what see what you like about what they do, see what you don't like about what they do. And actually, you know, maybe even selling stuff to other dealers too, that's a way that you can immediately become exposed to, you know, techniques. You know, mm-hmm. take some of your own stuff, maybe not even associated with comics. Say, you know, in my case, I had some rare records. And I took them around to different record buyers, and I noted how they behaved, and, you know, uh, that kind of influenced me on how I buy as well because there were some things that they did that I didn't like and I thought, oh, I'll, make, I'll have to make sure that I don't behave in this fashion when I try <laughs> to buy stuff from people. Yeah. Well, uh, that leads me to a different question just because you brought it up. It's like, uh, what type of things are you, as a buyer, what type of things are you interested in? I know you have very diverse hobbies, but, you know, people listening to this don't necessarily know what that is. They think you're probably all comics. So, <laughs> so what type of things do you like to collect, if you were collecting, or have you collected in the past, other than the comic books? Well, I did have a complete collection of all the Mad Magazines, and I really enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a pretty good collection of records, and I still have some of them. I, you know, I like the Beatles and Frank Sinatra. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, I, I find that just for me, I like to keep the collecting impulse alive, but under control. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because um, if I didn't understand the collecting impulse, I really couldn't deal. But I actually hear from some, you know, comic book dealers, and they want to do back issues, mm-hmm. and yet they've never collected themselves. And I think you're going to do a really bad job selling collectibles if you've never collected yourself. You have to understand, you know, why people collect. You have to have collected yourself in order to be effective at it. So that's something I really understand. Mm -hmm. And so now and then I'll go on a flight of fancy and I'll get, like, uh, Cracker Jacks toys. (laughs) You know, I'll get a whole bunch of Cracker Jacks toys and I'll get, like, price guides for Cracker Jacks toys and I'll look at various things or... You know, um, you know, or maybe big little books. I'll yeah, get into yeah. big little books, and I'll get different guides and big little books, or you know, original artwork or pulps or whatever. So I'll go ahead and get on these flights of fancy, but um, I usually don't stay there too long, just because nowadays time is shorter for me, and I gotta be moving all the time. You know, I gotta I gotta keep selling things just to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, but I do. I'm still fascinated. I have the collector's mentality, right. um, and you know that means you pay really close attention to fine details on on stuff that non-collectors don't even notice. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, switching gears totally. <laughs> um, sounds good on all the collecting and everything, but uh, are there other things you're interested in? As I know what you, you'll say, but I mean, you know, tell tell everyone what types of things you're interested in, you know, things you like to watch, what type of movies, you know, TV and things like that. Are there any shows right now that uh, currently strike your fancy or whatever, things like that? I think that ties into the collecting thing because maybe uh, somebody collects because they they're very interested in the totality of something mm-hmm. you know if if you like look at a history book or whatever the history book only tell you a certain part of the history mm-hmm. but if you collect something then you're exposed to the whole gamut of information and you can decide for yourself what's interesting it's kind of like if you're at a if you're like watching a sport you're at the, you know you're watching a baseball game mm-hmm. You can look around, and you can you can look at anything you want in that stadium, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you're watching it on TV, you can only see what they show on TV. Right. So you're seeing a portion of Same thing if you go to a comic convention. Let's say you go to San Diego Comic-Con like I used to. There's like 100,000 people there, you know? And there's 100,000 different stories, and you can make your own story, right? <laughs> so as a collector... You get to look at everything, right? Yeah. So when it comes to music, I'm actually, I like stuff from all periods of recorded music, Mm -hmm. right? They started recording music, you know, around 1900, right? Something like that, yeah. (laughs) So, so I like, I like Al Jolson. I love Al Jolson. (laughs) Bing Crosby, uh, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, The Beatles, um, and, you know, then, then all kinds of different kind of music, like bluegrass music and jazz music, opera, soundtracks. So, you know, if you kind of have a collector's mentality, you jump around a lot. You're not just on whatever's popular today. You make up your own mind, you think for yourself, and you appreciate the various languages. Mm-hmm. And same thing with, with movies. I have a hard time finding people that will enjoy a in an old movie, a black and white movie, a silent movie. <laughs> um, people tend to think, oh, they, you know, in the old days, they kind of act in an artificial manner. You know, it's kind of phony. Nowadays, it's realistic. And I, I don't <laughs> think that's the case. I think what it is, it's, it's a different time period. It's a different language. It's a different style. And, you know, even if you go back and look at stuff you saw a while ago, maybe in the 70s, you say, oh, that looks like the 70s. Yeah. You know, your 1980s movies look like the 1980s now. Mm-hmm. So it's just everything is kind of a, in a certain style, certain language. You just can't recognize it till later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in general, I like to, rather than just pick from the things of today, I'd like to enjoy the things from all periods of time. Um, currently, best TV show I've seen, I think, is Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching Better Call Saul, which I really enjoy. Yeah, isn't that the the prequel or something like that? Yeah, yeah. It's got it's got the uh, Bob Odenkirk uh, Saul character mm-hmm. and uh, Gus and a couple other characters are in there. And yet, what happened right before Breaking Bad? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still really well made and interesting. Um, I saw a mini series that we all enjoyed was uh, Big Little Lies. Mm-hmm. And, and, Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, my whole family saw it, and we all loved it. 
and that was one of the best things that I've ever seen. Um, it just absolutely gripping. So I, I highly recommend that to everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, are you one of the types that have to see like all the superhero movies because you like comic books, or <laughs> or do you tend to avoid them because of uh, you know? What is your take on stuff like that? Well, here's here's the weird thing about me, and I I I don't not even sure why this is the case. Um, everybody I know almost likes superhero movies more than I do. Mm-hmm. Like my um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, they they'll go see every single Marvel film the moment it comes out. <laughs> and these are intelligent people. Um, they they'll they'll get like the blu-ray and they'll watch them over and over they just love them so everybody i know loves these superhero movies the, the weird thing i've seen a lot of them and mostly i don't do not like them mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's a strange thing for me to go to the movies to see something i probably will not enjoy <laughs> now there's there's been some exceptions to that i like the first iron man movie yeah um i love the incredibles films um, I like the original Superman movies. Mm-hmm. I thought the Batman movies, um, like uh, the recent ones, they all had some merit to them. Um, that's about it. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that I thought was really good. Um, maybe there's something I'm forgetting. But otherwise, it just... They, they leave me cold. I'd rather see, like, a war picture. I love World War II movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd rather see, like, a crime picture, uh, just something with actual real people rather than, you know, people in leotards hitting each other with cars. <laughs> you know, um, that, for some reason, doesn't thrill me. Is it because like, of the CGI, or is it just because the good guys always win, or uh, it's too dark and depressing sometimes or what i mean i i've probably seen more than you i was just curious your take on it (laughs) well i i hate cgi so if i if i'm aware that there's a special effect that i'll like it Mm -hmm. so i mean i'm i'm the kind of guy that likes practical effects a lot more like i i saw the new uh the newest uh, road warrior movie Mm mm-hmm and they actually had everything you see on the screen actually went on practically. They didn't. They didn't just do it digitally. And for me, that works a heck of a lot better. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, when you can CGI anything, then they put things on there that strain credulity. Yeah. At least yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's this scene. It, 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 speaking of things that I love, there's an old silent movie. Uh, forget the name of it, uh, but um, I'm blanking out on the guy. I'll, I'll think of it in a minute. But he's standing there, and there's an earthquake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buster Keaton. Buster, okay? yeah. Buster Keaton just standing there, kind of the old uh, stone face, right? Right. And there's an earthquake. There's a massive building falls on him. Yeah. <laughs> and all there is in this building, it's solid concrete. It shakes the ground. There's a little tiny window. Mm-hmm. It can't be more than like two feet mm-hmm. across, square window. It The window is exactly where he's standing. Yeah. This is the most impressive thing I've ever seen. <laughs> no CGI. That's correct. If they were off in their measurements. Yeah. 
by an inch. Yeah. It would have instantly pulverized them. Yeah, and it was within inches because I've read about that before. I know what scene you're talking about, yeah. That's the greatest <laughs> thing ever done by man. Now, compared to that, some lazy guy sitting there, and then they stick it all behind him. Mm-hmm. Boring! <laughs> I wanna, I've seen the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you gotta be as good as Buster Keaton or Gene Kelly mm-hmm. or Bruce Lee and actually do something if you want me to be thrilled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just it's me. I know I'm different than other people, but what can I do? I just you know, I I show up for these superhero films just to do my duty, all right? I've seen Wolverine. Uh, I've seen the X-Men. I've seen... Oh, I did like Spider-Man 2. That's another one I liked. Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 1, that was okay. 2, I liked. I haven't seen the others. Yeah. Um, Maybe I'd like them if I did. Yeah. But there's a whole lot of them that I've seen. Like, I've seen Avengers. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a great thing. It it just didn't do anything for me. (laughs) Saw Doctor Strange. I thought it was all right. (laughs) But, uh, you know, there's there's films that I've seen that I just love, love, love. And that's the kind of thing that I'd like to go see, something that I might actually love. So you don't think it's more to, it's more to do with the CGI than it would be that they're not being faithful to the comic book version of it or something like that? You know, some people are hypercritical about that, you know, saying, oh, Superman didn't do that in the comic book that way. Why is he doing it here, you know, or whatever? Well, I think I think there's a certain sameness. Like, you know, maybe they made X Men movies first, and they decided, well, we're not going to go with the bright costumes. We're going to go with leather, and we're not going to have any brightness. We're going to have it all dark. Yeah. And maybe that was a big success. And they decided, okay, we're going to make every single superhero movie the same. Yeah. So, so the reason I like. Incredibles because it's different, it's lighthearted. The reason I like Superman, it's different, it's lighthearted. So, yeah. what would prevent some people from having happy characters and bright backgrounds and stuff? I just think that they need to try to make these different. Yeah. You know, now there, no one's going to listen to me because these are the most successful movies in history. <laughs> but, but I mean, I'd love to see somebody with a vision, you know, like Brad Bird, you know, become. Yeah. It's like, hey, uh, Brad, we're going to put you in charge of, you know, this particular franchise. I would happily go to see that. So I'm not opposed to the idea. I'm just pretty much being left cold by much much of the output. <laughs> what do you think of the one Mission Impossible movie that Brad Bird directed? Did you think? Yeah, it- I was enter- I was entertained. I you know, I I preferred the Iron Giant to the Incredibles. Yeah. But I, I still thought, okay, this this is entertaining at least, you know, yeah. I, and that's what I expect with a mission I haven't seen the new Mission Impossible, but you I know, you expect you expect to to you know, have a have a fun kind of ride and uh you know, uh, that's you're not you don't have any kind of high expectations for that. Right. Uh you know, but as long as they deliver that you're not bored, uh, you know, then and, yeah. and you're content. In general, what what is your opinions of things like reboots like that? Do you like are some people are like really purists? They go, oh, this uh, stuff with Tom Cruise. It's like, oh, give me Martin Landau and Barbara Bain any day or something <laughs> like that. Are you that type of person, or you'll accept a new format if it it somehow is written or performed well or something like that? I guess it depends what it is. Like when it comes to Mission Impossible, I never thought that was the gospel script. 
shoes in the first place. Like, how dare they change one jot or tittle of the sacred mission impossible? Um, but if they did a prisoner movie, yeah. they, they're, they're treading on very hallowed ground there, and they, they right. don't want to mess it up. Yeah. You know, uh, like, I love Bilko, for instance. I love Steve Martin. I love Bilko. Mm-hmm. I hated Steve Martin's Bilko. <laughs> I was wondering about that. You know, I never asked you about that. Yeah. And it's kind yeah, of funny. So. I listened to Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, and they had the interview with the director that uh, directed the Bilko film. And he was saying, I really wanted a Phil Silvers type, but for some reason they signed Steve Martin, and Steve Martin wanted to do it his own way, and was writing kind of Steve Martin-ish shtick and stuff like that. For So it was like a, a square peg in a round hole, something like that. And it's like, it did, he even the director said it didn't come across the way I wanted it to. And so no. I would what, cast John Lovitz. Yeah, that would probably be a good idea. I, I was just—I was just going to ask you because you're more uh, into Bilko than even I am, even though I have all the episodes now. It's like, uh, but you know, yeah, who is like a Phil Silvers type now? But yeah, uh, Lovitz would be a good one, although he's not a name, just like Steve Martin is a name, you know. So you know, that's the problem there. Yeah, well, the... if you're going to make a flop, you might as well make a good flop. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Um, what other types of TV shows do you like? I mean, you you, um, you said the Better Call Saul and the Breaking Bad. Uh, anything else you watch currently, or even from the past that you really liked over the years? Yeah, well, well my wife and I we get together and we watch the the news in humorous form. Uh, so that means we watch um, the Daily Show and uh, Stephen Colbert, Samantha Bee, hmm. uh, Saturday Night Live, um, John Oliver, <laughs> and yeah. So we like to we. We find the news is, is it, it, you absorb the news better if it's in humorous form, especially in these days. <laughs> um, I like I like Rachel Maddow because she kind of lays out what's going on in great detail. And for the political people, I must say that she is fact based. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't like to watch things where they they create the news. Um, so I don't watch any Fox News. Maybe I should just to see what kind of yeah. nonsense they're putting out there, but. Um, <laughs> I do like things that are factually based. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I do watch Rachel Maddow. I like The Last Word. Yeah. Um, forget the name of that fellow, too, but he's very good also. Mm. Um, I like uh, Chris Matthews, although he has a tendency to interrupt his guests just like they're, just as they're trying to make a point. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, oh, we watch uh, Real Time, Bill Maher. I don't always agree with him, but he... Uh, he makes me think, and I think it's challenging. Hmm. Um, so I think that's interesting stuff. So that's that's stuff we watch on a regular basis. Hmm. Okay. And uh, let's see what else. Uh, cartoons. Let's talk about cartoons. <laughs> There's from left field, but we usually talk about cartoons. The last time I was over, I brought some Looney Tunes and things like that. So I know you enjoy stuff like that. But well, what types of stuff do you like in on, in animated form? Oh, well, like Bugs Bunny is just about my favorite thing ever. <laughs> um, and just somehow, somehow I've, like, memorized so much of that stuff that, you know, like, the, 
you can apply it to various situations. And it's like, hey, that's like that time where Bugs did so and so. That's true. <laughs> It'll just come immediately to mind. Uh, well, so. yeah. You and I, when we're together, we'll quote lines, and then we have friends that mutual friends that quote lines and things like that. So, yeah. <laughs> It's it's amazing. Do you think kids nowadays get that? I mean, because it was so ingrained in our heads because it was on every single Saturday morning for 20, 30 years. And, but nowadays, you know, even though it's more readily available, you can stream it, you can buy it on DVD or anything. Um, uh, do you think that things like Bugs Bunny has any future shelf life anymore, that kids even pay attention to it anymore? Well, I wonder. I actually wonder about that because you go back to when we were kids, and this this young gal at the, you know, and I think she seems to be about eighteen, and she's she's a customer in here, which and it's interesting because she bought Swing with Scooter number one because she likes Joe Orlando. Wow! And that to me was a complete anomaly, and I was talking about some episode of some TV show. Lost in Space. The yeah. kid from Lost in Space was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Moomy was the guest, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think I mentioned that, that, yeah, I've seen all the Lost in Space many a time. In fact, I did not know anyone that hadn't seen all the Lost in Space. <laughs> I didn't know anybody that hadn't seen every Star Trek, every Wild Wild West, every single Get Smart. <laughs> I, I didn't know anybody that didn't know every single Bugs Bunny. Because back then, we had a very few entertainment options, mm-hmm. right? So there, there'd be about three to four TV stations, and I'd play the same stuff over and over. <laughs> so we all saw Every single Hogan's Heroes, multiple times. (laughs) We saw every Three Stooges multiple times. There'd be like a Bugs Bunny Roadrunner, some kind of Bugs Bunny thing. They'd play the same things over and over. We didn't mind because we loved them. Um, So there was a very few entertainment choices, and everyone I knew was into it. It was a common language. So I actually wonder... Is there something like that anymore, or has it atomized to the point of you can have your Buffy fans and they know all about the Buffy stuff? You're going to have your Game of Thrones fans and they know all the Game of Thrones. Has it atomized where there's just small little groups? Because it it used to be almost a common language. Like I'm sure, like everyone was into the Beatles, almost. Yeah. So it's like a common language. So is that something that still exists, or is it going to die off when we die off? I don't know. That's what I was kind of asking you. But, I mean, it's like I, when I meet people, I, I, since I go out and about all the time, well, you do too. You meet different people of different age groups and everything. Um, so I'll cut it off at the under 30 crowd because, you know, that's the, the typical uh, generation gap of traditional times. Um, I've noticed that it depends on how they were brought up by their parents, that their parents were into, like, older movies or black-and-white movies or whatever, uh, the kids can be, unless they just reject everything that their parents say outright. But uh, whereas I've met people under 30 that it's like if it didn't happen before they were, if it happened before they were born, they have no knowledge of it. And, like, I had a friend, uh, you know, Jerry Lewis died, like, a year or so ago. And I was, like, kind of moping around, oh, Jerry Lewis died. And he's all, who? And I was, like, ready to slug him. I was like, what? 
<laughs> and then I said, uh, comedy movies? No, no. Uh, it was with Dean Martin? Who? And then I, I said, he did a telethon. Oh, yeah, that guy. You know, and I'm like, you know, wow, what a point of reference. <laughs> so, is that what's going to happen with all these uh, things that we hold dear and beloved? Three Stooges, Bugs Bunny, you know, whatever in the future? It's like, it'll be like, just ancient stuff from the past that nobody cares about? Well, at, at some point, the universe will die, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> now, that's eventually, right? So, but our particular lifestyle will go, too. Yeah. Now, we won't care because we'll be gone, too. Mm-hmm. You know, but just the fact is, there's probably been a change. I think reading is going to be, or already is way down. People actually reading things. Mm. Like, there's a whole bunch of people, I think, now that they never read a book. They never read a magazine. They're busy looking at their phones at all time. Mm-hmm. There's a, probably a whole bunch of people that will never watch a black and white movie. I even know a person that loves old films but doesn't like silent films. Mm. And that seems like, why wouldn't you like silent films? Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's a legitimate art form. I wish they had kept making them. Yeah. Um, well, Chaplin so, tried, but anyway. <laughs> well, I, I, it's interesting because it's a different type of thing. It's pure cinema. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, also if you go to one in the theater where they have organ accompaniment, you're getting a, a, a concert for like you know ten bucks. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's a one and a half hour concert yeah. in a fine palace for almost no money whatsoever, and you can sit there and eat popcorn and drink drinks and eat snacks. And nobody minds. Right. Uh, it's, it's just it's the greatest entertainment value in the world, and you'll be sitting there at the Stanford, which is the world's best movie theater. It's in Palo Alto, and there'll be twelve people in there. Right. Right. <laughs> and. And David Packer just paid half a million dollars to get the print restored that you're watching. And he flew the guy out from Los Angeles for $5,000 to play the organ accompaniment. And they've just raked in $200 in, ticket yeah. pr- in tickets. Yeah. So it's just like, it helps that the guy's a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. It is interesting that the two recent attempts, and they're like 30, 40 years apart, of silent movies, Mel Brooks' silent movie, and then The Artist, you know, didn't, neither of them really kind of create any sort of trend or anything for silent movies, or, you know, you'd think that something would have come out, but, you know, what is your take on that? Well, you, you know, it's like... By the way, I love both of those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, like The Artist, I think it won Best Picture. That was my favorite movie the year it came out. I love that movie. Um... <laughs> And also Silent Movie, I think, is just terrific. It's really an underrated Mel Brooks um, classic. I mean, I'm not generally a Burt Reynolds fan. I think that was his <laughs> finest hour in that movie, where he's like, he's winking at himself, he's looking at the mirror. You are one handsome devil. <laughs> That's true. When he passed away, I didn't even occur to me that, oh, yeah, he was in that film. Oh, oh. and at the end scene, he's like, he's taking a shower, still admiring himself. <laughs> but then extra hands yeah, slathering him up. <laughs> <laughs> it's so damn funny. You go, help! <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> I think that's that. That was his finest hour, as far as I'm concerned. 
That's the only time I really, really loved the guy. <laughs> well, it is true. That was genuinely funny. A lot of times it was kind of forced humor, kind of like, look at me, aren't I great? And Smokey and the Bandit, hey, everybody. You know. No, you're not. People hate chest out next to you. <laughs> But and, but but he was like, um, you know, he said this in interviews and also like Rock Hudson, you know, said this in later interviews before he died. You know, he's saying, oh, you know, I wish I tried harder. They both said similar uh, things. I wish I tried harder when I was at my peak. But they yep. both kind of phoned it in saying, hey, I'm just the hunky dude. Here I am. You know, let's do a film. You know. <laughs> Well, that's kind of like what Dean Martin did in comparison to Frank Sinatra. He just he took it light. He did the bare minimum. Everybody liked him. He, he just got by on his charm. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it, I, I like uh, the, the, the former better than the latter. You mentioned, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, who's the guy that you mentioned after the other guy? After Burt Rock, Rock, Rock Hudson, Hudson yeah. I like Rock Hudson a lot better. I like Macmillan and Wise. Yeah, well, that's where he was talking about phoning it in. It was that show that he was referring to. That he oh, was... what did he do? Pajama Game, I think, with Doris Day. <laughs> yeah, he did about three films with Doris Day, but yeah. well, those were utterly charming movies. Yeah, they're 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 still fun to watch. Yeah, but he was referring more to Macmillan and Wife, more yeah. to the fact that uh, he he was kind of on hard times because every movie star kind of goes through that period where they're not a big box office draw anymore. So let's try television, and he just kind of phoned it in. But him phoning it in is better than half the actors we have now sometimes. So <laughs> I thought he was great. I think it was that was like the Sunday night mystery movie. Yeah. And it was like a rotating thing. They had a nice theme, you know. Um, and uh, I think Columbo was one of them. Banachek. Yeah. Uh, Heck, Heck Ramsey. Yeah. I loved all of those things as a kid. That was that was one of my favorite things. I think it was like called the Sunday Night Mystery Movie. Yeah, like uh, the, the theme was by Henry Mancini. Yeah. <laughs> dun 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 dun. Ooh wee ooh wee ooh wee ooh wee. Used the theremin there, I think, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I don't even know that theme that well, and I know pretty much everything Mancini. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um let's see. <laughs> I'm trying to think where to go with this. I don't know. Um well, you know, since we're talking about TV, we'll stick with TV for now. Um, you know, shows that you really love and that you've talked about many, many times to me in the past, like Bilko and Hogan's Heroes and stuff. What attracted you to that was it the military aspect or the comedy or both or what what, did, what attracted you to the various shows you'd watch as a kid um i didn't really see bilko as much as a kid i discovered that later they didn't mm. play it a lot there was there was only a certain amount of shows that we would see as a kid i think maybe it had something to do with being in the bay area and that'd be stuff that channel 2 channel 36 whatever would get or maybe it was the same all over the nation i'm not really sure but the stuff that we would always seem to be on when i was a kid and if it wasn't on one year it'd be back the next year pretty much mm -hmm. um uh wild wild west mm -hmm. which i loved mm -hmm. um and uh, Get Smart, love Get Smart. Mm -hmm. um, th those were always available, 
and then they had old stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, we we wouldn't get access to that much. Uh, I saw um, "You'll Never Get Rich," also uh, the Phil Silver show. I saw that later, um, you know. And I just love the acting in it. Phil Silver's is just so quick and so deft, and the writing is so good. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just super fast and super clever. Right. But I don't think it would have been the same without Phil Silver's. Yeah, and I have to admit, I you know I saw it as a kid, and I liked Phil Silver's, uh, but I didn't really get enamored with the Bilko Show until much more recently because, you know, I, I guess I didn't quite get it as a kid. You know, it's like here's this like loud guy yelling at everybody and it's like and then there's like these 40 year old soldiers that look like to me i don't know but you know you think you're all bad and they never really did anything they didn't do anything militarily they were never firing guns or doing anything they were just always around the camp and sometimes they'd be sleeping and it's like wow what a strange show this is so i didn't get it you know as a kid so it was much much later but i like phil silvers and things like mad mad world and that's where I first started liking him and his con man type character and so you know now I'm like you I'm a Phil Silver's junkie it's like any appearance I see of him I'm like yay <laughs> but <laughs> well when you when you think about it Bugs Bunny's kind of a con man too oh yeah you know it's like he he can convince anybody of anything by misdirection and fast pattern and stuff he just uh, he uses his wits to get the better of people he doesn't use the violence generally mm-hmm. uh, although you know he's not above that either <laughs> but, but he'll, he'll just basically use his wits and um i think um all of this stuff the appeal for me same thing with mad magazine and the simpsons nowadays it's anarchy yeah, you know, there's like one version of this is the way the world's supposed to be. You know, you always trust your local politician and your local police officer and your local clergyman. Yeah. They all mean the best for you. They always tell the truth. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're gonna live in a house with a white picket fence. You can have a nice short hair haircut and all that. You can have a great job. You're gonna have 2.5 children. Everything's gonna be wonderful. You know, the atom is your friend. You know, um, just <laughs> this whole thing. And the older you get, the more you realize this is all lies. Right, right. So, so anything that can help kind of you peek at what's actually going on. Mad Magazine would give you a peek at what's actually going on behind all this nonsense. Yeah. What's the truth? Um, so that's the cool thing about things that kind of expose that that's what another thing that we haven't discussed yet here comedy i was a big fan of comedy albums i collected those as well um and a comedian is somebody that makes you think about you know you know the reality of certain situation what we tell ourselves what we try to talk ourselves into what we try to believe and what is the actual reality and another thing too in life I've tried to always find out what's really going on yeah. you know because there's always two stories what are they telling you yeah and what are the facts right and these things are oftentimes not the same mm-hmm. and just, just without realizing I, I I realized that I was a skeptic yeah you know so I'm actually trying to uh, figure out the the legitimacy of various claims that people are trying to make yeah. and, and I find that um, 
usually the more vigorous the claim, uh, the more money they spend promoting the claim, the more false the claim is. Right, right. Well, I mean, reading mad will definitely set you in that direction of yes. questioning authority, for lack of a better term, of what's happening here. And if, if people are familiar with EC Comics, um, they used to put out, you know, Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror and, and Shock Suspense stories and so forth. And and the publisher, William M. Gaines, he was a troublemaker back then. Mm-hmm. He would be, you know, he was a troublemaker before Matt came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with Harvey Kurtzman, the, the creator of Matt. These were all troublemakers. His whole line was... Um, was stopped by censorship. There's a book called Seduction of the Innocent. Uh, you know this very well. I'm doing yeah. it for your listeners' sake. But uh, that basically led to the demise of EC Comics, and they just kept their one publication. It was a magazine, Mad Magazine, going. But these guys were troublemakers before Mad ever started, and they continued that. And Mad basically became the fount of humor uh, in America, and it led to National Lampoon and then Saturday Night Live. And, you know, this is like the kind of the backbone of humor and skepticism in America. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, you mentioned all those... Uh, comedy news shows. I mean, that kind of the antecedent is Mad there too. Correct. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> so it all started with Mad. It's the, it should be one of the, I guess, the the two most important magazines in America, possibly Mad Magazine and Playboy, mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're the ones that really push the envelope on public perceptions. Mm-hmm. And that's they they made the society more liberal and liberal by the way is not a swear word uh you know <laughs> some people would have you believe that liberal is bad well guess what we're in a liberal democracy and i like that very much or a mental disorder know. like a lot of uh yeah. other certain people say yeah, <laughs> like... yeah i mean it, uh, you know america is a liberal notion and you know liberalism brought us the end of slavery and women could vote and so forth so i'm happy with these trends um I do think, uh, you know, more and more we should listen to people with differing views. Mm-hmm. You know, if we want to keep our our thoughts sharp, yeah. we need to hear people that, that have differing views. We need to accept that and try to engage them and, and talk with them and, you know, civilly. Yeah. So um, uh, I think another danger our society is getting into is we're in little clusters yeah. that all think the same thing. We're on Facebook. We have only Facebook friends that agree with everything that we think, mm-hmm. and we're not exposed to different ideas anymore. And I think that's that's bad for the society. Yeah, I still personally try to. I mean, some people think it's crazy that I listen to any form of right wing radio, but I listen to all viewpoints. It doesn't mean I agree with it. You know, especially during an election year, I just. I just want to know if I'm missing anything. That's really what yeah. it is, because if you get a, a different viewpoint, you, you can distill it down and find out if behind all the the crap and the agenda and everything else, if there's like any sort of valid position in there. And if there's not, well, then you can dismiss it completely. But you know, for, you know. for me, I, I have to turn it off if I just hear hatred. Yeah, that's it different. Doesn't, yeah. It yeah. just makes... You know, it's like makes me feel bad. You know, I might might be driving to work, 
And if somebody's just ranting and raving, it's just hatred. Yeah. Uh, then I got to tune it out. That's a so. little different, but yeah, I agree with you on that. You know, it's like, but I try to expose myself as best I can to different things. Some people think I'm a total bleeding heart liberal just because I post certain things on my Facebook, but it's like, no, <laughs> I'm still as I still consider myself a centrist at heart. But you know, it's like, you know, the nature of how things are, which is so extreme. You know, my position seems extreme now, which, okay, fine. <laughs> well, we're actually here. There's a, there's a lot of opposition yeah. to what's going on in the country now. And the leading people uh, in that opposition are the old-line conservatives. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's very interesting because they are actually have certain principles that are, they feel are, you know, some of the things they believe in are in danger right now. Yeah. So I'm Well, they're right. They're right. I mean, it's the last bastion of conservatism. That's yeah. how I see it, you know, and it's like they're, they're scared to death, you know, just like, you know, <laughs> uh, it's not to say that they're right, but, you know, uh, but, you know, hey this is where we're at you know and it, it was it was bound to happen at some point sooner or later considering the direction everything's been going in the last 30 or 40 years and so it's kind of at a head now that's how my opinion is about it but you know <laughs> i never saw it coming i was i was very sure that that hillary clinton would win uh, i think i made a bet that way too and previously i'd made a whole series of bets i'd never been wrong about one yet yeah. uh so i think it, it came as a big surprise yeah uh but when you come right down to it donald trump is famous yeah. So something that that, that um, politicians want to try to do is they when they want to try to achieve fame. Yeah. Well, here's a guy that had his own TV show where he posed as like a businessman that made wise decisions, mm -hmm. and then a lot of people saw that and they said, "Oh, well, we want that guy. We yeah. want this yeah. guy with this Solomon-like wisdom <laughs> that can make these, you know." But but that was just a character he played on TV. Yeah. I mean, jokingly, so. back in the '80s, Jackie Mason said, "You know, you know, we need we need." A businessman as a president, you know, and stuff like that, the way he talks, you know, and he, of course he's Jewish, so he has to say, we need a Jewish president, you know, and all that, you know, but, um, but you know, it, you know, looking back on it, you know, it's like, wow, that was a, uh, that was an interesting idea, but then you had strange people like Perot that tried to run, and then you go, he gets, you know, and then, you know, it's the same thing now, but Trump actually made it through, and it's like, well, now we get to see the trial has happened, and let's see how this works, well, the trial happened, and my opinion, it failed, you know. But, hey, <laughs> some people say, oh, we have a robust economy, so, oh, you know, it's like, well, well, there's more to life than just the economy, even though people would have you think otherwise, but, you know, hey. <laughs> well, I don't know when, you know, when people are going to listen to this. <laughs> whenever, whenever they do, for the Trump fans, I'd just like to pose a couple of questions. First of all... And this is something I asked one of these Trump guys. He says he loves Trump no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. Whatever particular week it is, ask yourself this question. Is this a good week for Trump? <laughs> and second question is, are you proud of your president? Yeah. Do you, do you proudly support Donald Trump? Because if so, I'd like to see that in writing and give it to me right now because I'm going to keep that. Yeah. Because I'll, I'll be happy to write out, I proudly supported Barack Obama, because I did and I yeah. do. And I'll write that up. You can have it. Now, for the Trump fans, just write, I proudly support Donald Trump. Sign and date it, 
send it to me because yeah. I'm going to want in about a year or two or three how's that going to look that's my question how's that going to look five years from now ten years from now is history going to judge you to be the wise person yeah. for, for feeling this way right now right uh, what do you think yeah my opinion is that uh, most people are hung up and stuck on political ideologies and more than the person, which yes. is really kind of scarier in a certain respect. Yes. Um, but, you know, we have to go through it, and hopefully it'll go come out the other side in a more positive light, but, you know, we'll see. So <laughs> that's, well, I mean, the, the, that's the, the most the, diplomatic way I can put it. Sorry the, to interrupt. <laughs> the, we, we have a diversity of people here in America, and Trump did not win the popular vote, but he won enough to win. That's how our system works. Yeah. But the same system that gave us Donald Trump gave us Barack Obama. So, yeah. I mean, it's a multifaceted thing. You know, for for each bit of despair you might have, there's also some hope out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's like if things get dire, I, I think things might have been more dire when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Yeah. And somehow we pulled out. Things might have been more dire uh, during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. You know, things might have been more dire when when Washington was fighting for the life of this country. Right. So I'm hoping that we have a chance to fail here as a nation, but we also have a chance to succeed. Yeah. So and if we succeed, maybe that'll even make us stronger. Who knows? <laughs> um, now it's it's a mistake to assume that things will always stay the same. And there's, it's also a mistake to think it can't happen here. Whatever bad thing right. you think can happen, it can happen everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. There's nothing special about Americans that will prevent something really dire from occurring here. Right. So, so you know, we don't know what the future is going to bring, uh, but it's, we've got a chance to go either way. And the idea that things are always going to be safe and easy does not conform to history because through most of human history there's been wars famines diseases death pogroms suffering um that's the norm so we've had this this generally very despite the wars that are going on uh we've had a generally an increasing uh, peace for for the people of america and the world too yeah um and we some of us just kind of take that for granted (laughs) and i think you know when things reach crisis point we maybe some of us stop taking that for granted and realize that we have to contribute uh to society if if we want to make it go in the right direction like one thing get your ass out there and vote right (laughs) uh you cannot afford to sit at home and let other people uh, make these decisions for you. So that's the most important thing you can do under our current system. Get out there and vote. Yeah. I mean, that was the most important thing. This is why I'm a Frank Zappa fan, because about the time I turned 18, I started listening to his music, and he was uh, totally preaching, you know, get out there and vote, or people that are older than you will uh, take control of your lives. And... I go at first. I kind of denied it, just like a typical teenager would do. Oh, that's not true. But as I l- thought about it and really looked into it, I go, "He's right. It's the only voice I truly have." You know, I could sit there and blather all day long on Facebook, but you know, what's that going to get me? 
So. But I, I I saw this like demonstration, you know, and uh, you know they and they're all screaming about Donald Trump or whatever, and you know. Then there's an interview portion of it. Okay, well, who did you vote for? Oh, I didn't vote. Yeah. It's like, well, what are you doing out here protesting when yeah. you didn't, you know, you didn't help the other guy yeah. win that you like better? I've, well, I've all commonly said for 30, 40 years here, I, I protest by the, I protest in the voting booth. That's where I protest. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but. Anyway, any final words to say? We've been talking over an hour here, so got got a lot of different subjects. <laughs> Did you have any final words of wisdom or anything else to say that we didn't cover? Yeah, I do. I, here's, here's my thought of the day okay. is I think a lot of times we let other people think for us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be, say, with movies or other entertainment. But what does Rotten Tomatoes say? What do the critics say, right? Mm-hmm. Or we might be part of a group, some kind of civic organization or whatever, and they tell us what to think, right? And so what I, I'm trying to do and what I would urge everyone to do is think for yourself. You know, if there's somebody that you agree with 100%, you're not thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, you should sure. not agree 100% with anyone, with Barack Obama or Donald Trump. You should not agree 100%. You should find something that either of those guys do that you don't like. Think for yourself. Make your own decisions. Examine the evidence, you know, and follow the evidence wherever it leads, even if it's uncomfortable. Because I think the truth, the truth is what's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we need we need more truth. Yeah. Uh, we need to explore the truth of any proposition. So that would be my words for everybody. Think for yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, very good words of wisdom. I, I I agree with you, and not always easy to live by because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the truth isn't uh, fun, you know. But hey, oh, I got something to add to that too. Sure. And be willing to change your mind when you get new information. That's true. So whatever decision you come to is just temporary. It's nothing's permanent. It's like when you get new information, it's time to change your mind. Yes. (laughs) Um, So that's another thing, too. It's like these are things I believe now, but they're subject to change when I get received new information. Yep. All right. Well, uh, I thank you for talking to me over an hour here and on my for my second podcast, first official interview. And uh, you're the one that encouraged me to do this. So here we are. So I appreciate it very much, Lee. Well, thank thank you so much for including me. I hope it's at all interesting to anyone. I'm certainly going to listen to it myself. Okay. And uh, see. Usually people don't like the sound of their own voice. Right. Oh no, an hour of my voice. But I don't know, maybe maybe there's some tidbit in there that might be useful. All right, well, you know, I'll try to talk more here. No, I, um, but uh, anyway, uh, that pretty much wraps it up. I'll probably do a, a closing after this, but, uh, you know, I just want to thank you very much. And, um, you know, uh, I will see you the next time in, I'm in town. Very good. Thank you, Mark. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. So I want to thank you for listening, and thank you again, Lee Hester, for being my first guinea pig, I mean, guest. Uh, episode number three will be coming soon. And if you'd like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark 
at gmail.com. And if you send me anything, I'll read your letters on the air next time. Who knows? Or maybe I'll ignore them. In any case, <laughs> um, I'm glad uh, that you're listening to this podcast. And uh, we're uh, listening to Benny Goodman and Stomping at the Savoy. And he's going to take us out again. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2018 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much, and have a good night.